Well, hello, hello, and welcome to another another Discover Headless Tech interview from headlesscreator.com. I am Marcelo Lewin, the Headless Creator. As always, get a hold of me right there, Marcelo at headlesscreator.com. Today, we continue the great conversation we started two weeks ago, all about the digital experience composition, also known as DXE, with my special guest presenter and full disclosure, my boss that I report to, Adam Com, VP of Enablement at Uniform. But before we get started, real quick, let me tell you about headlesscreator.com. Go get your free account. You'll have access to, obviously, uh, this interview we're, we're about to have uh, on demand later. Uh, but you also have access to the entire course, the uh, Discover Headless Tech course, which includes tons of tutorials. You see, we have lots of them coming up, lots of podcast episodes, bonus material, a bunch of stuff. And of course, you're going to have access to pretty much everything else on the site, including Content Money Weekly, uh, this this course, the retrospective, which first episode uh, goes live on November 10th, I believe. Uh, we got a couple of weekly tip courses, a whole bunch of headless CMS courses. Uh, we've got three boot camps. We're about to launch a brand new series. Man, we're just launching tons of series here. You're going to love it. Uh, so get, get your free account. Um, it won't cost you anything except your time and your email. That's it. But you'll get lots in return. All right. With that said, um, you know how this works. We're going to get Adam in here in just a second. But quick reminder, if you have any questions, go ahead and put them in the chat. I'll ask Adam. Um, and uh, with that said, Adam, welcome. Good morning, Marcelo. It's nice to be back. Good morning. Glad to have you back here. It is morning. Um, for those of you watching around the world, we're uh, in the uh, west coast of the United States. You are where, Adam? Portland, Oregon. I'm in uh, Southern California, so uh, it's pretty early for us. But uh, glad to have you back here. Uh, I typically start with uh, tell us about your background, but people can go to part one and learn all about that. So what I like usually to do for part two is I like to ask a little bit more personal stuff, like what are you into? What's your hobby? Oh, <laughs> hobbies. So yeah, having a startup doesn't leave a whole lot of time for hobbies. <laughs> that's your hobby, the startup. Yeah, but but there is one thing that I always try to make time for, and that's going for bike rides with my wife. Mm. Not not racing or anything, just recreational riding around town. She got an e-bike earlier this year, and it's really changed the way that we ride. It's a little hilly out here. Um, I, I like the hills, but my wife's short. She's got short legs, so it's harder for her to, her to get up the hills than it is for me. So this has really been like the great equalizer. Um, we can ride a lot farther and longer than we were in the past. So I'm definitely a huge advocate for e-bikes. If you haven't tried one, I can't recommend it enough. I haven't, I've seen a couple of people on it. Um, so are you at really, so, uh, and this is a, a genuine question. I'm not trying to be funny or sarcastic, but are you really riding? Like, are you doing exercising or is it almost like a moped, you know, from the eighties? <laughs> Yeah, there, there are different kinds, but the kind that she has, um, it's pedal assist. So you do have to move the pedals, but then okay. when you do that, it like gives you a boost. It's a really weird kind of sensation at first, but okay. it, but it allows you to exert yourself as much as you want or as little as, as ah, you want. Okay. So it's, it's like you said, it's an assist versus it's a motor running all the time. Does it self-charge as you're using it or no, you have to charge it at night? You have to charge it. It, it holds a charge for quite a while. So she doesn't have to charge it after every ride, but you know, every couple of weeks she brings it in and, and charges it up. And I'm assuming if you lose the battery, basically you can continue riding it just like a regular bike. Yeah, a real um, heavy regular bike. A real heavy regular bike. Yeah. Well, that's I think a cool that's one of those mistakes that people make once they they don't judge their charging properly, and then uh, right, it doesn't happen again. Yeah. And how how long does it hold the charge for? I mean, like, how many miles can you go? It's um, I want to say hers is maybe a hundred fifty mile range. It's oh, it's way okay. farther than than we would yeah, ever most ride. people would travel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, very cool. All right, uh, so let's get started. Um, real quick, um, we covered a lot of stuff in part one. People can go watch part one, and we talked a lot about what DXC is, marketing, the information behind that, uh, terminology. Uh, we gave a whole overview. We left off with the three types of DXE, but before we jump into that, maybe you can give just a real quick for those new viewers, a real quick uh, summary of what is DXE, then we'll jump into the three types. 
Yeah, for sure. And I'm, I'm going to try to be brief, but it's not it's not something that's super easy to describe right. briefly. Um, but so DXC is digital experience composition. It's a kind of product that lets you build and maintain digital experiences with headless or composable architectures. So digital experience can be like websites or email campaigns and mobile apps, those sorts of things. Um, but the problem that it solves is that with composable architecture, you've got all these individual systems that are responsible for a specific thing, um, whether that's managing content, like what a CMS does or product information, which is what a PIM does or digital assets, which is what a DAM does, segmenting visitors, which is what a CDP does, you know, and so on. There's all these different systems. Um, and that's really the point of a composable architecture. So you get to use a bunch of different products because we've really tried the one size fits all approach and it just doesn't work. But when you have all these different systems, you know, how do you make sure that they're able to work together? How are they connected? How are certain tasks that, that span multiple systems handled? And these are really big challenges when you have a composable architecture and something like digital experience management, they're especially big problems because um, in the past, when you had like a monolithic system, you, you only noticed these problems when you needed to integrate an external system with the monolith. So you, you, you already had all of these problems solved because that's what the monolith did to you, did for you. But with a composable architecture, you, you don't have a solution to these problems. You have to create the solution yourself. So that's really what DXC is. DXC is the solution to these problems. I mean, it's a product that makes these different systems, all of these different individual composable products work together specifically so that you can build and maintain digital experiences. So monolith wise, um, can a monolith be part of a DXC? So just another portion of that DXC system. It, let's say in an enterprise that has a monolith and maybe they bring on a headless CMS as well. Yeah, so it it is possible. And that's and that's where you kind of have to make the distinction between you know DXC as a product and DXC as a concept. As a concept, it's something that's just able to make these different systems work together and it has to have certain certain features or certain capabilities. And we, we got into those in depth on, in the first part. But if if you can provide those capabilities, then you you basically have a DXC. Now, a DXC as a product, which is more what we're talking about, is is something that you don't get automatically. And you're probably not, if if you're an enterprise and you already have some systems that provide some of the capabilities that a DXC provides, you probably don't have a DXC because there are a variety of reasons, a variety of different limitations of those systems, which is why they're there wasn't a solution until these DXCs came about and started specifically solving those problems. Right. Do you do you find that uh, the industry is slowly starting to just label? Because I found that with headless CMS and a whole but API first, um, companies that didn't really offer that started label themselves as <laughs> that, just because hey, it's a marketing term. So how can we make sure that um, companies? are, are uh, aware of what truly is a DXC and what is just a company putting a label on it so they can sell more. Yeah, that's, it's, that's kind of a perennial problem with commercial software is that there's this marketing aspect. And when there is a new, a new buzzword or something, people are quick to pick up on it. I think there's, right. there's one organization that's, that is helping in this. Um, and that's the Mac Alliance. Um, and we talked about what, what Mac is and Mac Alliance also mm -hmm. in the first part, but they're an advocacy group. And one of the things that they do is they, they certify products. Um, now they don't have a certification for DXC, but they do have um, certification for Mac that if you, that you have to follow these certain principles and these certain um, design patterns in order to get the certification. So they're sort of a, um, a somewhat neutral arbiter um, and somebody that you can go to and, and they, they're trying to prevent what they call as mock washing or Mac washing, which is sort of like whitewashing and where, where companies that maybe have some composable capabilities, but then also have this legacy of very non-composable products come in and start calling themselves composable. Um, so they're there kind of as a voice to say, hold on, just because you've done, you know, this one little piece doesn't negate all of this other stuff that you're actually selling to your customers and that your customers are actually using. Right, right. So let's talk about the three types of DXEs and maybe you can give a breakdown of what are the uh, components that enterprises should be looking at when they're looking at these three types. 
Yeah. So, um, so there are these three types and, and maybe what I can do is kind of just describe each of the three types and then get into like the advantages and disadvantages of each. And I think yeah. that, 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 um, should give, give us a, a kind of a starting point if we wanted to go a little deeper on this. Um, so the three, just let me, um, name them first and then I'll go into more detail. First one is DXP digital experience platform. The second is headless CMS and the third are pure play. And these are the three types that Gartner, Gartner is the analyst firm that, that created this category, that named this. So this is the way that they view DXPs that are available today, kind of the categories that they see within the category of DXC, digital experience composition. So these are like the three different approaches that a vendor who is offering DXC functionality can go about actually offering it. So first one is DXP, the digital experience platform. So if you think of what a digital experience platform is, and again, we talked about this in part one, but it, it sounds kind of similar to what DXC, the digital experience composition is. Um, and I mentioned this at the top, but a, a DXC is a product that lets you build and manage digital experiences in a composable stack. Um, a DXP, the digital experience platform is a, like a self-contained product that lets you build and manage digital experiences. So architecture-wise, uh, DXP, the platform, is either a monolith, meaning all the functionality like content management and asset management and content delivery, all of that stuff is included in a single product. That's what a monolith is. So um, an example of a, a monolith is the Sitecore Experience platform. So that's one, one traditional architecture for a DXP, a digital experience platform. The other is a product suite. And a product suite is a collection of separate products from a single vendor. And that's that's the approach that Adobe takes with the Adobe Experience Manager. So if you're a vendor with a DXP, the digital experience platform, the idea here is you could sort of refactor your products so the experience management functionality works with other products, um, with like composable products, like a headless CMS or a PIM. Um, and in Gartner's research, they identified a few vendors here. Um, Bloomreach and Crown Peak are, are two examples of vendors who offer DXP, digital experience platform, but also their DXP um, can be um, thought of as a DXC. So real quick on that. Um, so how do they make it a DXC? By offering APIs that you can use to connect to other systems? I mean, I'm trying to grasp how this DXP monolith or suite can now be called a DXC. What makes it available to do that? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's. I, I think it's. It's mostly a matter of opening up, kind of unlocking some of the functionality right. that they had tightly coupled within their own monolith or their own their own system. So something like um, content management, just something as as fundamental to digital experience management as content management. With a DXP, a digital experience platform, you get a CMS built in, and that's right. the CMS you use. So when you go in and if you're building a web experience and you want to create a new page, you're using whatever sort of modeling or templating engine that the, the DXP provides. You're creating a new content object using whatever data model they have, right. um, and you create it. In a D in order for a DXP then to become a DXC, the idea is that you would be able to redirect that. So instead of pointing to the the DXP's built-in CMS, you would be able to point to another right. CMS. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so that's the that's the DXP, the digital experience platform approach. Uh, the the second kind is the headless CMS. So um, even though headless CMS was originally um, envisioned as a pure form of content management that isn't tied to a specific channel like the web. Uh, the reality is that the overwhelming majority of headless tied to the web. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's what they're used for managing right. web content. Um, and headless CMS vendors have felt pressure from their customers um, and also from their investors to offer some sort of experience building capabilities. Um, so this is the idea that you've got the DXC functionality that is growing out of a need of a content man of a headless content management system. And in this in in this um, category or this type of DXC, Gartner identified like Ampliance and Contentful and Content Stack is offering this. 
So just to be clear, so it started as a headless EMS, but then it expanded into um, allowing the connection of other systems into it that makes it a DXE um, or yes. a type of DXE. Yes. Um, and and that kind of, uh, you know, I guess you could get somewhat philosophical about this, um, whether it's, um, you know, adding functionality to the C to the headless CMS or that the CMS is hooking into this other functionality that they've right. created. Um, I think the the more the the way to think about it that's a little bit more in line with the with the aspirations of DXC is that they are separate things. That the DXC is one thing. It serves its purpose of facilitating the creation and management of digital experiences, um, and then a headless CMS is just one of many systems that will feed into it. Got it. Okay. Um, so that's the, the coming from the headless CMS approach. And then the, the third way that Gartner has identified the ability to provide this DXC functionality is pure play. Um, and the pure play vendors are the ones who built this functionality specifically to solve the problems that we were talking about, about um, how do you get these systems to work together? Um, and obviously and we're like one of them uniform. Yeah, that's that's exactly where Gartner puts you. Exactly. Yeah, me. Yeah. So um, advantages and disadvantages of each of these. Um, I, I think it's kind of it can be helpful to to understand. Well, let, let's expand on the pure play a little bit. They just give us examples of what makes it a pure play, right? Um, we know with the headless, it it kind of grew from the headless and expanded. But what makes us and anybody else in this category a pure play um, DXE? Yeah, well, that's that's quite literally the the distinction between pure play and both the headless CMS approach and the DXP approach. Those other approaches grew out of something else. Something already existed, and there was more functionality that was built in able in order to support what DXC requires. What pure play does, and what how pure play is different, is the pure play vendors identified that there's actually a, a unique and specific problem that doesn't that is that doesn't grow out of something that already exists, but is separate from those products that already exist. So they look at the problem and say, how are, how are business users going to be able to build digital experiences when part of their work is happening in a headless CMS, part of their work is happening in some sort of a commerce system. You can look at that and say, well, why don't we expand the CMS to be able to provide hooks into the commerce system or why don't we expand the commerce system to provide hooks into the headless CMS? The pure play vendors looked at that problem and said, well, no, we're not a headless CMS. We're not a commerce system. There's a need from both directions for this functionality. So we're going to solve this problem because it is its own problem. Right. And it seems to me that uh, the big difference from a development perspective between pure play and DXP and headless is that to me, it seems like DXP and headless type category, you're still tightly coupling, even though you can connect to others, you're still tightly coupling them through whatever code uh, SDK they provide. Where in a pure play, you're very, very decoupled, meaning that you can switch uh, your connections fairly easy, right? It's never easy, but much easier than than the other two categories. Am I wrong in that assessment? Or I, I, I don't think that you're wrong with that. I would... Um, you know, I, putting myself in the uh, in the shoes of maybe a vendor who is either a headless CMS or a DXP vendor, I I might not describe it um, that way as being tightly coupled, okay. um, which I, I think there could be some argument about. But I think something that is um, a little less hard to argue is that, excuse me, with the pure play vendors, the pure play vendors have to support multiple other vendors. They have right. to, because a DXC without these underlying systems is is useless. And that's not the case with the DXP or with the headless CMS. With both of those products, you still can do things and you can still get work done. So the, the question with with those the first two options is how 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 truly portable or how compatible are those options with other competing products. So you've got to, in, in both cases, in the DXP case and the headless CMS case, I think the question comes down to, well, what if you want to use a different CMS? Are you able to do that with the DXC that comes from the DXP world or from the headless CMS world? And it may be possible. I don't, I don't know. I'm not an expert. I haven't been hands-on with those kinds of products, 
But that's that's the question I would ask. Well, and I think that's I, I love what you said, because I think that really, to me, in my mind, at least it describes the distinction between pure play and non-pure play, where the pure play, it's all about connecting to everybody, right? Because that's the whole point of it. I mean, without everybody else, the pure play is nothing, right? By itself. Where the others, um, at the end of the day, they want you to stay with whatever that system is and then yeah we'll help you connect just because you know we don't want to lose you so i'm not saying that that's a bad thing you know because business is business but i think that to me in my mind that's the real distinction between a pure play and the other types where the pure play we we exist or the pure play exists uh mainly to to support every vendor out there that's the whole idea yes and and you know to be um, you know, to be fair with pure play, that that is the potential. I would say that that's the potential. Yeah. Will the reality meet that? Will every pure play vendor really be um, equal for all of the connections that they provide? Probably not. I mean, everybody has to has to pick and choose. And as time goes on, there will be alliances that are made. And you know, some um, you know, like uh, that that book um, Animal Farm about all all animals are equal, but some are more equal than others. Yeah. I, I think that sort of thing will probably play out even with the pure play vendors. But but I do completely agree that that what the pure play vendors have that the other two options don't really have is is a much stronger motivation to have open AP, open functionality in terms of DXC and to make it possible to switch out any component that's in a composable architecture, yeah, yeah. not just most of them. Right, right. And this is, uh, my question wasn't really meant to put down the other two categories. They're all very important, but from an enterprise point of view, depending on what you need to do, and if you're looking at switching constantly, you might want to look at a pure play versus a non-pure play. So, but just something to keep in mind at the end of the day, if it helps you get your business done, then, you know, you're going to go for what you're going to go for. So, yeah. And, and I think that's, you know, on some of the advantages that, you know, the advantage of the DXP, if you if you already have that DXP and you want to expand out and you want to be able to use some other systems, you know, maybe you're not thinking about wanting to replace the CMS that's a part of the DXP, but you do want it to be easier to incorporate some commerce systems. Mm -hmm. Well, in that case, it could make a lot of sense to look at your DXP as, as, as offering the DXC functionality because it's going to make it easier for you to bring in other systems. You know, maybe certain parts of, of the system you're not going to replace or you, you can't replace or it's not easy to replace, but that's fine because that's not your motivation. Your motivation is to look beyond the core of the DXP and that there's a bigger world than the DXP and this makes it easier to bring those in. Right, yeah. I think, the, on, I think the headless CMS approach is a little more risky and it's a little harder for me to... Um, find great um, benefit for the customer from that approach if the customer is interested in composability and really sees the value in what composability is about, which is is flexibility and is about not being locked into a particular vendor. Because from the headless CMS world, when they start getting into um, like DXC and experience building, now they're going beyond their you know their core competence, mm -hmm. um, and they're starting to do everything that you know, they've, they've spent the last several years railing against the monolithic vendors for doing, you know, starting to do more than what they really understood and really were good at, um, and starting to do a lot of other things because they need to, but not doing those all that well. And right. also the idea of, of being locked in and of, of really having a single system be the center of your composable architecture. Should that, should the center of your architecture, your composable architecture really be your headless CMS? Is there something about the headless CMS that's so fundamentally important and different than the other components of your composable architecture that it deserves this special place at the middle? And are you okay with building everything off of that? Right, right. And that's a big question that an enterprise needs to, needs to ask. Do you foresee uh, with um, D as the category, the DXE category evolves, uh, do you foresee standards? Because you mentioned getting stuck, getting stuck with one vendor, right? But we plain devil's advocate, you could say the same thing about, well, I'm now stuck with this particular DXC vendor, right? And now I have to do everything. Do you foresee any standards coming out of this category where um, it'll evolve and then all DXCs will try to follow that standard or not really? 
Um, yeah, this is, I, I don't have a lot of optimism in that happening. Just I've been in the industry long enough and yeah. I've seen this. I mean, I knew the answer, but I just had to ask it. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think that there are, there are some, some things that will keep vendors somewhat honest. I mentioned the, the Mac Alliance as being one that could play a role here. And I think the analysts, I mean, the analysts, that's what they were doing with DXP, mm -hmm. um, and keeping, um, you know, defining what a DXP is and making sure that the industry, that everybody in the industry understood when they said DXP, this is what they meant. And it sort of creates a, a de facto standard where if, if you are going to try to claim to be a DXP and you're not, you're going to get called out quickly and you're going to have to change um, how you're describing what you're doing. Yeah, cool. All right, let's switch um, a little bit and go into... They're convinced, the enterprise is convinced, I want to acquire it. So let's switch into sort of that category of questions that I wanted to ask you. Um, and we kind of covered this, um, but what should companies specifically look for? Let's get it a little bit more specific when they want a DXE. Yeah. So um, first of all, I, I would say, I, I feel like this is important to say that there aren't a lot of companies that are probably researching DXE per se just because it's such a new category. Um, it's it's just not very well known, but they're definitely researching solutions to the problems that DXC solves. Right. Um, so, you know, educating the market that there's actually a product category that they should be looking at. Um, that's what those of us in this space put a lot of energy into. Um, but the DXC itself is a defined category. So there are certain things that a product really needs to have in order to be considered a DXC. Um, so these are the things that they should be looking for. We we talked about these last time, but um, quickly, there are there are these three layers in the DXC. At the bottom, there's this API framework, which is largely pre-built connectors to different systems that are provided and maintained by the DXC vendor themselves. Um, on top of that, there's the experience building tools. So these are like the no-code tools, low-code tools that let business users create digital experiences using content and data and functionality that's exposed through that, that bottom layer, the API framework. And on top of that, there is this front-end orchestration layer. So this is something else that they should be looking for. Um, the, the purpose of this is to let developers access everything from those bottom two layers. Um, and it also makes it possible for the digital experience to be delivered to customers. So, you know, the, to, to try to be a little more specific about what companies should look for, um, I think there's a couple of things that that come to my mind. First is you want to look for support for the systems that you intend to use. Um, and you can come at this from a couple of, uh, a couple of different directions, I think. Um, one is the, kind of the obvious one, are there connectors available? If you're using a specific headless CMS and a specific CDP, you're looking at a vendor who's offering you a DXE solution is there a connector that's available? Um, so DXC vendor might be able to add new connectors quickly, or they might offer like an SDK so that you can build custom connectors. Um, so the fact that a system isn't supported today shouldn't necessarily be a deal breaker, but mm -hmm. you do want to look to see um, are, what connectors are available. And if there aren't connectors available, what's it going to take in order to get a connector built? Um, and then another thing I, I think that you want to think about is whether the connector does what you need it to do. And this is something that those of us who have who have worked with integration and have worked with connectors in, in this space for a while um, know about and are constantly trying to um, trying to get people to really ask the next question because it's it's really easy to ask like a vendor, do you have a connector for this particular system? They give you the answer yes, then you move on to the next thing. But just because you have a connector doesn't mean that it's actually going to give you the kind of functionality that you need in order to use it the way that you want to use it. So if you want to read images from a CMS, as an example, but the connector only gives you access to text content, it doesn't give you access to the actual image itself, that could be a problem for you. So it's not just whether the connector exists, but what does the connector do? Well, and I would argue even how often do they maintain it? So in other words, let's say they have a connector to a headless CMS and now there's a new version of that headless CMS with new functionality, that connector has to be updated to be able to access that functionality, right? 
Yes, um, but again, to, to, to try to keep in mind, do you actually need that functionality? Um, because products and vendors are constantly adding new features to their systems. Um, and a lot of times you will want to be able to take advantage of that. But sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, if you're, if you're just trying to pull in some images from a dam, um, do you also need to incorporate the ability to do image rescaling directly in the DXC tool? Is that something that somebody who's creating a digital experience, does that person really need that functionality or is it okay to leave that functionality in the, in the source system? Because again, one of the things that the DXC is, is, is trying to do, which makes it very different than the approach that the DXP, the digital experience platform did, is the DXC is not trying to hide the fact that there are multiple systems involved in the background. It's just trying to make it easier and make it easier for business users and developers and everybody involved to be productive when you have functionality split across multiple systems. Right. Okay. Um, so the, the other thing I think that people should be looking for is what is the user experience and making sure, and this is especially important for business users, making sure that the user experience matches your expectations. So what I mean by this one is that one of the main responsibilities of a DXC is to enable like the business users to build and maintain digital experience. Uh, so what user, what, what it means to be user-friendly for one business user or one organization may not be user-friendly for another. Um, and if you're coming from a, like a traditional CMS or a DXP a platform, you might have certain expectations on what the user experience is like, like having integrated content authoring and experience composition. So in a, in a, like a traditional CMS or DXP, when you're creating a web page, you're able to go in and actually edit the content that's appearing in the web page directly at the same time that you're creating the web page. Now, there are cases where that's very useful functionality, and there are cases where that is, is actually not very useful functionality, even though that may seem kind of counterintuitive, especially with, or, with larger organizations where they are creating content that's multi-channel content in their, in their CMS. Right. Now, right, right, you're starting to edit it within the context of a particular channel, but you don't realize that that content is being used in other channels as well. So can you really edit it the way that you should be editing it? But that's, that's an example. Can you do the, can you simultaneously edit the content and do content management and experience composition in the same tool? If you're coming from a traditional CMS or DXP, that's, that might be your expectation. So then when you see how a DXC works, you may think that you're taking a step back. Um, so, on that, I, I would just um, urge people to kind of be open-minded as you learn about your options because some things will work differently. Um, and this can be good and bad. This, this can open opportunities for new and more efficient ways to work, um, but it also could be disruptive. And every organization is gonna need to figure out for itself, is it trying to replicate their current experience as much as possible or are they, is it possible that maybe there's a better way to work? And is the DXC that they're looking at, is that a tool that's going to help them create a better way to work or to make their, their users more productive and efficient? So you said keep an open mind and maybe be a little disruptive. Can you expand a little bit if, if we're, we're at 35 minutes already, which is unbelievable, but maybe expand a little bit. What do you mean by it, it will be different than, let's say you mentioned different, a bit different than a DXP? From from the con we're talking about, but the, when we say the end, the user experience, we're talking about the con the content author, right? That's what we're talking about. Yeah. What do you mean? It's a little bit different. Can you expand a little bit on that? Yeah. So I think I'll um you know the, I I think the the one example that um really comes to mind is just again this idea of content authoring and digital experience composition and digital ex the creating the digital experience are really two separate tasks that in the DXP world were often put together. So in a, in a traditional DXP, what you, what you often had were multiple interfaces for being able to edit content. You could do it through like a form-based or a tree-based interface, which is just focusing on the content. This is the information, this is the data, this is what I'm entering in. I don't know how it's gonna appear on a web page or wherever, but it doesn't matter right. because I'm just trying to create 
information about a new promotion. You're maintaining program. a product or a promotion. Yeah, exactly. Yes. But then they also would have this, like this WYSIWYG interface that would allow you to build mm. the page and pull content in from different places. That experience doing that would often also allow you to actually edit the content in the context of the web page. So you could go in and if there was a word that was misspelled, you would be able to go into the DXC and change the word right then and there. Got it. Uh, in, in the DXP. So in, in the world of the DXC, you may or may not have that functionality because it's not a part of the definition of what a DXC is. A DXC identifies that a content management system is where that information should be edited and managed. And the DXC is where you're building digital experiences. So if you're coming at, at the, the problem as, oh, I'm used to doing this all in one tool and that's how I want to work, you may be faced with a, a situation where if you want to change the content, you're going back over to the CMS in order to change the content as opposed to you're creating a web page, I'm going to change this content directly in, in the web page. Now, the DXC may make it easy for you to get over to the CMS. You could click a link and then that, that takes you directly to the content object that, you're, that you want to edit, which I think is, a, is, is actually a good solution because it falls in with the kind of with the, the idea or the, the sort of philosophy of composability, which is again, right. that you're not trying to hide the fact that there are multiple systems involved. You are, you are letting the user know that this is, this is not the right tool for you to be editing content, but we're going to make it as easy as possible for you to get over to that tool to be able to edit the content. Right, right. Well, and I think this is the same problem with, um, with that I ran into many times with content modeling, which is I think part of it is also retraining authors into a new way of thinking and a new way of managing content. So it sounds to me that if you are bringing a DXC and you want to do it the old fashioned way, as you mentioned, where everything you edit everything on the page, you may also want to reconsider retraining, uh, which also falls on us in the industry to have to push a lot of education to show the benefits of doing it a different way, right? Than the old traditional way where you're changing it on the web page. Because as the metaverse expands and one day, I believe that metaverse will take off, you're gonna have different channels where you wanna update all of this content and changing things in, in the context of a web page is not gonna make any more sense in the future, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I think that, and that's why I, I kind of described it as being open-minded. Um, right. but, but also kind of understanding what it, what the parameters are for your organization. If, if any sort of change is just too disruptive for your business users, then, then that's okay. Just go into it and, and, you know, recognize that this is going to, this is going to steer you in the direction of maybe a certain kind of product. And there may be some compromises and that's, that's perfectly fine. The, you know, the, this holy grail of composability and all of the benefits that you can get from composability, it does come at a, at a price. You do have these different systems involved. And if you, and if, if the idea of having to work in multiple systems and deal with multiple systems in, in any way is, is just not something that you're interested in, then that's okay. You can still get some benefits of composability, but maybe the, you know, those benefits of composability aren't so compelling to you. Right, right. Well, you mentioned price, which leads me to my next question. And obviously we're not going to talk about exact cost, but what should companies today, if this is going to evolve because it's such a new category that things will change. We've seen that in the headless CMS industry. But today, what should companies expect to pay? And I don't mean exact cost, but should they expect to pay by user fees? Connect, I mean, how is how is up, uh, the cost going to be handled with a DXC? Yeah, so I, I think there's there's a lot of different ways that this this could be done. Um, I would expect pricing to be based on things, um, at least in, initially, that are pretty easy and straightforward to measure. So, um, you know, things like number of sites and number of pages, um, because really the initial use case for a lot of this is pretty web centric, mm -hmm. but there are also things like the number of components, number of users, uh, number of domains, number of connectors that you're using. Those seem like the most obvious things to be a basis for a license and, and, and they're easy to measure. 
Right. And I'm sure things will evolve, right? As customers start complaining about why are you charging me for this, then things will start changing. That happened in the headless CMS industry, right? Yeah. Um, so, okay, cool. For, uh, so obviously DXC, DXB, everything we spoke about is cloud-based. I mean, that's the whole point of mock, right? It's all cloud-based. But what about for companies that are very security sensitive where they go, no, we don't, we can't put stuff in the cloud. Um, is there currently today DXCs, or do you foresee in the future more self-hosted DXCs? Yeah, so there's there's no reason why a DXC couldn't be self-hosted, but I imagine most of them are going to be SaaS. Um, most of the headless and composable, sure. the the like the headless and composable products that get connected using a DXC are SaaS. So it seems to be that um, that that's a model that organizations are comfortable with. Um, it's possible that a DXC could store sensitive data, but that's not a requirement. Um, a DXC actually doesn't have to store any data at all. It can just store pointers to data um, and the connectors can resolve the pointers when they need to, um, but they can access the system of record directly. So they don't need to bring the data into the DXC in order to, mm -hmm. to use it. So if security is a concern, um, that's the sort of approach I think you'd be looking for. I think it's important that you pointed out, no pun intended, that in in general, DXCs will store pointers. And so there is no issue with, with security there, right? Because then, then it becomes the issue of how is it stored in those original systems, right? Yeah, because we, we really have gotten past the point of needing to bring data into one system in order for you to be able to use that data. Um, and that's, you know, DXCs with having connectors. I mean, it's possible that a DXC could could basically import con the content that you want to use in a digital mm -hmm. experience into the DXC. Um, but I would I would um, hope that the people who are building DXC functionality um, know better than to to kind of go down that road, because, again, that's another another road that we've tried in the past and it's um it it doesn't work it doesn't scale it's it's complicated to me it doesn't support single source of truth cuz things yeah. can get out of sync right yeah. exactly cool um so if an enterprise wants to bring in a dxc what are the roles the people that should be involved in in figuring out which dxc the functionality that they're looking for to solve the problem that they're looking to solve in in the enterprise yeah, so someone who's like the head of digital marketing is probably going to be the most interested in DXC, um, but it affects marketing, development, um, you know, commerce teams, IT teams, um, all of these teams pretty equally. So they they all should be involved because it is it's like I mentioned earlier, it it does provide its functionality, but it it can't do anything without connecting different systems. So anybody who's working with those different systems, um, they can be affected by this. Got it. So now we're going to jump in a little bit and we're going to go through this rather quickly because we're at 45 minutes here, but um, we've got the DXC in the organization. Now we have the reality of managing this, this uh, DXC. Um, do you recommend, like I recommend having a content architect for content modeling an organization, if you really want to scale, do you recommend that they would be sort of a, a DXC ad, uh, administrator taking care of, not, not taking care of the headless CMS and all the other systems, but that system itself? Yeah, there would be. I mean, maybe it's not a, a dedicated role, but a DXC is a product. So, um, like any other system that it would need to be administered. So I, I would see this role as being responsible for things like configuring the connections to the different content and data sources and managing users who have access to it and setting up roles and permissions. Well, you mentioned users. That's uh, so another question that I personally have is you have users in a headless CMS, you have users in a PIM, you have users in a DAM, blah, blah, blah. Do you recreate all these users in a DXC or is a single sign-on? How, how the actual implementation of that, how does that work? Yeah, so it, it depends on the DXC, but support for single sign-on and third-party authentication services, um, those are a common way to reduce the number of logins a person needs to have. So I think that's that's probably going to be the most common solution that, that organizations take advantage of. Got it. Now, one of the powers of DXCs is that all these connectors we spoke about. Do, do developers have to build preview pages 
that show because at the end of the day you're bringing all these connect all this content right the author is bringing all this content and now they want to preview we did talk about uh re-educating them into don't worry about what it looks like because that's the channel but the reality at the end of the day is yeah yeah that's cool but i want to know what it looks like so show me so do dxc's support previews and if they do do our de developers still involved in that how does that process work yeah so the the dxc um, may or may not um provide a preview um and it kind of depends on on what it is that you're composing are you composing a an abstract experience um, where somebody is, where the, the user is able to say, well, this is the content that I want to use. It doesn't matter to me what it looks like. Sort of the way that like the abstraction that somebody who's using a headless CMS has to do um, if the headless CMS either doesn't have preview or doesn't have preview set up. You could have a DXC that handles it that way. Um, but, but what a, a much more common, and I think is going to end up being a much more popular approach is having some sort of context preview um, where it you take an application and you're able to preview the experience through that application. Because ultimately at the top layer of the DXC is that front end orchestration layer. That's where everything comes together. So being able to build that front end and have it hook into the DXC so that you can preview content seems like it's gonna it's gonna end up being if if not a an actual requirement, something that if you don't if you don't offer it, you're you're not going to have a very compelling product available. Yeah, um, we spoke about a lot of stuff. One thing we didn't touch upon is personalization. Should that be part of the DXC, or is personalization just another system like a dam, like a headless CMS, like a PIM? Yeah, so it's it's a, a good question because Gartner's definition of DXC actually doesn't require personalization, but mm -hmm. personalization is one of these these things that um, is a feature that can can fit into DXC because of what DXC actually does. It's letting you manage digital experiences, and personalization is an important part of a modern digital experience. So, if you're going in and the DXC is allowing you to um, create a component that's going to have information on a promotion, that is the point that it would make sense to configure personalization, to say that um, this segment of users should see this promotion, or this uh, if the visitor is coming from this part of the, of the country, that they should see this other promotion. So it feels like a natural part of a DXC, but it's not a, it's not a stated part of the DXC. Um, I would also add like testing and experimentation features in here too. That's, that's pretty similar, um, in a lot of ways to what you're trying to do with personalization. You've got different, a different experience that you want to present, um, in different cases. So if a DXC is going to include like personalization and experimentation features, they're probably going to be integrated into that no code tool that the business users use, because that's where the experiences are composed. Um, but if the DXC doesn't include personalization, you can still use personalization, but then you're probably going to be configuring the personalization from outside of the DXC, like in a separate tool, like something you do with Google Optimize. Do you think um, from a pure play perspective um, that personalization should be just another tool that you can connect? Or do you feel because it's so tied to that no code tool that it really DXCs, I, I'm asking basically for your personal opinion here, that DXCs should build it as part of it because they're building that no code tool as well? Yeah, I, I'm, unfortunately, I think I'm going to give you a, a kind of a wishy-washy and unsatisfying answer. <laughs> I, I, think, I, I don't think that it's necessary. I, I think that the what what has always been the most exciting and appealing part of composability to me is that it it gives allowances to what different organizations need and gives you some flexibility in how you can solve problems. So to go in and say that the DXC that it's best for personalization to be provided by the DXC sort of ignores that there are some some real use cases where you you might not want to do that. I mean, if you already have, if you're already using something like Google Optimize, you're familiar with it, you're happy with it, and you want to continue using it, why should why should the DXC force you 
to use a different approach. Yeah, that makes sense. It wasn't wishy-washy. He had a new opinion there. Um, okay, cool. We're pretty much at, at the end here. Um, but so I'm going to end it with this. Um, with monoliths, one of the big benefits is my website went down. I called the monolith and go, it's your fault. You're down. Fix it. Um, with DXC, composability, all this, where you're depending on multiple vendors, what happens? Who do you contact? Who's, who's, I don't want to use the word blame, right? But how do you get help as an enterprise? Who do you call when something goes down? And you may not know why, because it could be three layers down, right? From another system using another system. What, what happens there? What's your, what's your opinion on that? Yeah. So who are you going to call? What, um... <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, so so this is a challenge with with a composable architecture for sure, but I'm really not sure it's as big a challenge as as some people might think that it is. So the argument is um, that you know when you have a monolithic system, you have like this one throat to choke, um, and and that's definitely true. Um, but the monolith is also like a black box, and fixing one part of the system requires updating the entire system, which can be really time consuming and expensive. Um, with the DXC, you're letting the DXC handle the connections to the different systems. So if you have a problem with like the connectivity, the DXC vendor should help you resolve that. Um, but other issues, especially ones that may not be obviously related to connectivity, um, those really need to be handled on a case-by-case -case basis. But I will say that you have a very high level of transparency with a composable architecture. You know exactly how the systems are connected and how they interact. So I don't think that a composable architecture is inherently more complex than a monolithic one. It's just that you can see the complexity for yourself um, with the composable approach. So it's still there with a monolith. It's just you don't see it and you don't have any control and, or power to really fix things when they go wrong. So that's why I think it's a lot more important to, to have that when something goes wrong um, answer in like the monolithic world than it is in the composable world. Yeah, makes sense. Cool. Well, Adam, uh, we're pretty much out of time. This has been a great two-part series. I thank you for it. I do want to remind uh, viewers, um, if it's prior to November 15th, uh, to on November 15th, um, go to our, um, we're having a, a, a DXC assembly uh, conference, mini conference. You can find out more information at uniform.to forward slash DXCA dash HC as in headless creator. Uh, go check that out, and uh, if it's post November fifteenth, I don't. I think the stuff will be available on demand. I'm assuming so, yeah. they can go check that out. If people want to get a hold of you, Adam, um, there that email right there is it. Yep, that's where I'm at. Adam, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks again, Marcelo. And great. I know you're my boss. I don't have to say that, but <laughs> it, it truly has been a pleasure. <laughs> oh, likewise, and and really, I appreciate having the chance to to come and talk with you like that. It's yeah, been great. Excellent. Thank you so much. And thanks to the rest of you. I hope you really enjoyed uh, this episode of the Discover Headless Tech podcast. I know I have. It's been a lot of fun. Learned a lot of stuff. And uh, stay tuned for many more. We have lots of episodes, lots of tutorials, lots of other things uh, coming on. So until the next one, have a great one, everybody.